When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Jets fans. Want $50 off your next round of drinks? Try Tap RM. They deliver the drinks right to your door so you can skip the lines and trips to the liquor store. Discover new and exclusive drinks or shop for your favorites. Don't worry. They've got all the options for you. Order your first round at taprm.com and get $50 off your first order using promo code Jets 50, $50 off $100 of beer. Not a bad deal. I would highly recommend it. I've done it. Connor's done it. Joe's got it. So make sure you go to taprm.com, use promo code Jets 50, skip the lines and get $50 off your first $100 worth of beer. $100 in beer for $50. Can't beat that. Now let's get into the pod. Setting up, looking downfield. He's going to heave a bomb for Corey Davis at the goal line. Into the end zone. He's got it. That's a Jet touchdown. select Zach Wilson, quarterback, BYU. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPaulEvan on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Joined by a special guest today. Very familiar if you follow that, if you're a Jets Twitter follower, TikTok, anything of that nature. Matt O'Leary, Matt O'Leary NY on, uh, on Twitter. How, how you doing today, Matt? Doing pretty good, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm excited that your uh, your TikToks pop up my feed consistently all the time. So I guess, that, guess that's a good thing. We obviously, uh, you know, do a lot of the same stuff, but... You know, big takeaway, obviously, the Jets, you know, kind of suffer a exciting but brutal loss yesterday. Just, you know, one more final kind of nail in the coffin, the Tom Brady ripping the Jets hard out. I think he's like 31 and eight now all time against the Jets, which is just disgusting. Um, you know, but overall, obviously, a positive day from Zach Wilson and um, the team competed, you know, as, as well as I think anyone could have, you know, truthfully, even the optimistic people could have expected yesterday. So. What are your uh, what were your initial takeaways from yesterday, and uh, what did you make of Zach's performance? Which you know, for some reason, is now getting mixed reviews, but I think it's pretty clear what happened. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, just overall, yesterday, I was happy with the compete level. Um, they were huge underdogs going into that game, and for good reason. Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl last year. Our front runners in the NFC once again. Uh, and the Jets, I mean, let's face it, their defense has massive, massive issues and they're going up against a team who, yeah, they're without, you know, some weapons on offense right now in Tampa Bay. But I mean, it's Tom Brady, it's Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Brown for at least half the game. Um, and, you know, that's that's enough to scare, you know, any any defense, but especially a, a young one that the Jets have that's struggling right now. 
and they held their own for the most part. Eccles got the interception. Uh, they got some key stops when needed. I like that they kind of dialed up the blitz a little bit on third downs. Um, and that, to me, was the storyline on the defense. Offensively, I thought it was, okay, this is another really good Mike LaFleur game. Braxton Barrios is just playing out of his mind, and the young quarterback is ripping the ball all over the field. All positives, but now, as you kind of hinted at, the final sequence of the fourth down play, going for it and you know running the QB sneak there to leading up yet another game-winning gr- drive to Tom Brady, that to me, is for whatever reason the bigger story but to me that's one of the last things on my mind from yesterday's game yeah no i'm on the same page as you i just think i think the only real takeaway is is zach um yeah you you're happy about some of the performances from some of the young corners i think they had 11 uh you know they forced the bucks into 11 tight window throws which was the most in the nfl i believe yesterday um and you know all that's against really good weapons and yeah ab we'll get to that in a minute because that's a funny it's just more so hilarious um you know obviously the bucks still have a ton of talent and uh, you know, Zach was facing the third overall ranked defense. I know they haven't, they're missing some pieces, you know, from an edge rush and perspective and uh, Levante David not playing, obviously he's significantly better than Devin White, by the way. I'm not sure why no one will ever admit that. Um, yesterday was pretty clear why. Um, but what do you think of in terms of like the tight window throws and things of that nature? Is that where you've seen the most progression from Zach? Because I think for me, it's the confidence over the middle of the field. I know they just don't have the weapons outside, so it makes it almost a little forced just from the play calling perspective. But um, I think for me, that's where I've seen the biggest thing. Like there was a couple throws over the middle that you just go, those are big time NFL level throws, like top tier quarterbacks. The same thing that you saw, or is it something else that kind of stuck, stuck out to you? Yeah, without a doubt. I think earlier in the year and he was really struggling with some of the underneath stuff and the gimme throws. And to me, I was like, okay, this is not something we saw at BYU. This screams, it's a confidence issue. He's not trusting himself. And I think we've seen as the season goes on, he's trusting himself. He's trusting his reads and just things are coming a little bit more naturally. And like, we know the arm strength is there and he was kind of just letting it rip, which I I agree to me. It's from the beginning of the year to now it's trusting what he's seeing having the confidence to just let it rip. And he's doing that. Unfortunately, sometimes with this wide receiving core, there's drops involved, but um, I I definitely like the progress that we've seen. Yeah, no, I'm I'm on the same page as you. I think something that I I thought was impressive too yesterday was there's a couple of throws he made. um, The screen pass over Vita Vea's head, I thought was that ball's incomplete. I could, I'd bet my life on it. Probably the first 12 weeks of the season. It just, he, he couldn't, figure it out even in a clean pocket let alone you know Vita Vey is probably the most athletic you know big man of that size in the NFL um he had one screen pass to Braxton Berrios too like led him in a, in a good way and then the out route I thought it's you know kind of you hit on a little bit was um, the touchdown to Berrios like if he puts that ball behind him a little bit it's either a drop it's a four-yard gain or it's honestly a pick six because that if that ball gets intercepted you know you're going to the house especially down by the goal line there so those are the things that stood out. And then that the post he hit Keelan Cole on, and I would, I tweeted out, I, I think you might've tweeted out as well as everyone's kind of shown that clip of, you know, he's fitting that ball in between three, four defenders and it's showing off the arm strength, but also the timing and rhythm he feels and like the confidence he's got that even with receivers that we'll get into this in a minute that are just, it's really difficult to watch right now. Um, he's still, he's still kind of taking those shots on the one that call on the comeback. That was a huge drive killer. I think that play 
was a pretty big momentum shift there for me. I killed a, they looked good on offense, killed another drive and just drops after drops of big, like you can't do that with a rookie quarterback. I don't think people understand like as well as Zach played yesterday, you still need to help him at some point. And big drops on second and nine. There's been third and nine back-to-back -back weeks, the Jacksonville-Miami game as well. So um, from a defensive perspective, we'll get back to the offense in a minute because I know that's what everyone wants to talk about. But from a defensive perspective, is edge rush for you, like right now, it's just kind of a glaring need. I just think like weeks, like the corners and safeties have struggled. And we, Elijah Riley obviously made a couple of plays yesterday on that drive where either good safety probably picks both of those balls off. But there's could not get pressure without four guys, like with four guys, and I think that's a staple of this defense. Is that kind of what you're you're seeing as well? Yeah, without a doubt, um, they really haven't had an edge presence all year, and I think a big reason for that is one. I mean, the big ticket free agent and Carl Lawson getting hurt was a huge blow to this defense. But even on the other side, uh, Huff missed a ton of time. Uh, you lost Vinny Curry too for the year, which I thought was an underrated signing at the time. I thought he was going to be a really nice, you know, rotational depth kind of guy there, uh, but between what Ulbricht's history has been in the NFL and Salas' history, they really build their defense off the pass rush. So when you're missing any kind of edge presence, I think you're asking the remaining defense to do a lot more, which I just don't think that's what their plan is or what they're building for. So for me, yeah, I definitely think edge is a huge need, whether you want to attack it in free agency, a trade, the draft. I mean that you have a whole lot of different avenues you could do it with, uh, but they definitely have to bring in another edge piece for next year. Yeah, it's, it's something that I think um, – I just think that, like, Bryce Huff, who I love, he's been on the pod, he's a great dude. Like, him is your edge three specialty third down pass rusher and getting some other reps sparingly, and the Jets rotate a ton, like, is a much better look for them than Bryce Huff being your number one pass rusher while being banged up. <clears throat> I just don't think that's sustainable, especially against good offensive lines. JFM's been quiet, obviously, but these guys are, like, worn down late in the year. It feels like there's just – the depth is just so out of whack. Um Want to hit back on the offensive side of the ball quickly. Obviously, the running backs played well yesterday. Ty Johnson, who was a guy that was a doghouse guy three weeks ago. Obviously, the Saints game was brutal. Um, looks good. But Michael Carter, I know he gets hurt early. Um, how impressed were you? have you been with Michael Carter overall this year just from his ability to break these big runs? Although, I wish he would finish one of them. I feel like he gets hawked at the end every single time. But have you been impressed with Michael Carter as a whole? Yeah, I positive things from Michael Carter. It feels like he never goes down right away. Like he either is making it the first guy miss or somehow getting out of the tackle, which is just really impressive. And I think Salah mentioned it either today or yesterday where he's talking about how the running game's really improved as the year's gone on. And I agree 100%. I think, you know, especially with uh, the amount of injuries that the Jets have had on the offensive line. Makai Becton was great in the run game last year. He barely played this year, as we know. But uh, as the year has gone on, I, I think Carter's developed himself into a nice role. Uh, Tevin Coleman, I think, has also been someone who's way exceeded what I thought he was going to be for this team. Uh, he's been pretty solid. And even like you mentioned, Johnson and, and Walter came in yesterday in a tough spot. And they were able to run the ball effectively against, as you mentioned, a, a good defense. So I'm impressed with the run game overall. And I think Carter absolutely could be the running back one of this team going forward. Yeah, I'd like to see them add, um, you know, one more bigger back. Tevin Coleman's shown some juice, but I think there's the, the third and two, third and threes that they'll hopefully be in and continue to be in more and more that – you know, or even a fourth and two yesterday, you have your A.J. Dillon, you're probably just paying that ball off because you feel really good you can get two yards. Um, 
I guess we'll get to the fourth and two. I don't want to spend too much time on it in the grand scheme of things. The winner or loss history doesn't really matter. I would have been nice confidence booster, but I think, again, the confidence booster is you went toe-to-toe with the, the champs and with a pretty pretty devastated roster. Even in-game, they lost another three starters. So, And Zach Wilson was the reason you were good. So all that considered, the fourth and two play, what was your initial reaction? And then where are you at now after hearing the quotes and seeing a lot of the very weird blowback against uh, Zach specifically? Yeah, so initial gut while watching was, okay, when they first went up to a line and called a timeout, I thought maybe it was they're going to try to get the defense to jump and then go out and kick the field goal. And I thought, okay, that makes sense. Go up seven. I think I personally would have kicked the field goal, but I understand the logic of going for it, going for the win. Um, and then the quarterback sneak instantly confused, like, what you know, what was that? And then we would later find out in the postgame, okay, it was a miscommunication. The ball was supposed to go to Barrios. And I think if you watch on the replay, Barrios picks up the first down and maybe even gets in the end zone there and the game's over. But um, it just I, w- I was frustrated, but I just don't understand the complete overreaction. It seems like people are extremely upset uh, whether they want to blame – I've seen people blame Sal. I've seen people blame LaFleur or even Wilson. And, you know, it's probably a mix of everything. But again, that's very low on my list of concerns from what I saw yesterday. Sorry about that. I left, put myself on mute there for a second to cough and then whatever. Um, no, I, I, the fourth and two call was, I think it was more frustrating because I, I thought that was a great opportunity to put the ball in Zach's hands maybe at a shotgun and given, given him a two way read or um, something where he could see the field more clearly. I just think the bucks, I don't love going anything up the middle there. I just think that's where they're, they were the strongest defensively yesterday, even all of their big runs. It felt like we're outside, you know, getting edge push with JPP and Barrett out the reverse. Even I know everyone's oh, Barrett's could have scored. You don't know that. Um, I would have loved to see them run the same play, but at the same time, I think, I don't hate that Zach put the ball in his own hands. I just don't like the fact that that call just doesn't really make a lot of sense because to get two yards, like on a QB sneak, you just would never try anyway. So I don't think like they must've felt like they were closer to a first down than they actually were. I know that's not, that's probably an excuse, but I think maybe they thought they were like a little over a yard away. So it's the fourth and two, but it was really a, a long fourth and one. Cause I just don't know that, I don't know. I played football my whole life. I don't know that I've ever seen someone <laughs> QB sneak for fourth and two ever, even like Brady or some of these guys that are, um, you know, the best, you know, the best at it and get the team up to the line quickly. Cause if you were going to sneak, that's the time to do it coming out of a timeout, everyone's set, you get your big bodies in there. I just, I don't love that. But then again, in the grand scheme of things, does it matter? Not really at all. Um, if anything, it's a growing moment where like now Zach goes, okay, like I've been here before. I'm, I know I can see what's going on, all these different things. Communication's got to be better. And Salah mentioned that he's like in the long run, two or three years, when Zach does that, he's basically flipping off the floor and Salah and saying, I got this and he's going to go do it, which again, I, you know, that I think that's showing good confidence in quarterback when it comes to the blowback with Zach, I just, I'm not quite sure what's kind of going on um, with some of the, the way he's been covered this year. I don't think it's been unfair, generally speaking. I think like Zach was very bad <laughs> at points early in the year, but I don't. I think there's a lot of character stuff which just comes off as weird because there's not been anyone that's said anything. You've heard nothing about oh this guy doesn't have good character. Like I don't know on Christmas Day he's giving away free tickets and that's going viral, but like uh, ten days later it's like oh Zach's a bad teammate. Like he's selfish. You should apologize. I just I'm not sure to go that far. Um, I don't want to get too much into like who's saying what and whatnot. It's just. 
sometimes you don't need to like go to get, I don't have a problem saying Zach played badly or played well. I think that's, that's fair game. But when you've played the game and you you're in that brotherhood, that fraternity, I think it's, it's tough to call it a guy's person, like, you know, personality and character because there wasn't the same context for what we'll get into now is Antonio Brown. and was all, Oh, he needs help. Uh, Antonio Brown's a terrible person. And I'm going to let you, I thought you go on this one, but like, he's a bad person. He's been a bad person for a long time. Um, no one talks about all the sexual abuse stuff, the domestic violence. There's a lot of things he got away with that no one really talks about because he was such a good football player. And um, the anti, the fake vaccine card, you never know that could have, that could have legitimately killed somebody if he wasn't, if, you know, things could have gone south there. So um, I think that we, there's been a lot of people that have enabled him over the years. And I think yesterday was just another case of, no one really wants to touch on it and just how he's not a buck anymore. I'd like to hear you be like, why? So um, obviously that blew up. That was the craziest thing I've seen in a long time. It happened to me in my high school year, junior year. Somebody walked off the field in a similar situation. Uh, we were 0-8 at the time, so it made more sense. The Bucs are competing for a Super Bowl, and he was like he had a million dollars in incentives on the line. Again, gut reaction. And then what did you make of the blowback or lack of blowback with kind of what happened yesterday? Yeah, just very confused, like, why he was walking off the field. I wasn't that a penalty, by the way? I don't understand. Wasn't that 12-man on the field? Yeah, I don't know. Supposedly, who is it, Mike Pereira, I guess they brought yeah. up. He was saying kind of just don't bring any more attention to it, just ignore it. But, I mean, you're right. He was on the field. It could absolutely have been a penalty in that spot. Um, just genuinely confused was the initial gut reaction. Didn't understand it. And I agree with you. Like, obviously, he he is someone who does need some help. But he's gotten so many chances time and time again, and he's proven himself not worthy of those chances after every single opportunity that he's given Brady stuck his neck out for him. And then this is kind of the thanks and repay that he gets. It's just, it's one too many times, more than one too many times. He's gotten way too many chances. Yeah. I just, I'd like to see going forward. Uh, just let's, let's stop enabling Antonio Brown like yeah get him the help he needs but he's tweeting out rap lyrics and dropped the rap album today and it's like there's a lot going on there you gotta give Mike Tomlin a hell of a lot of credit man that's Steelers organization they put up with Big Ben who's really difficult to put up with um for as good as he was for a long time and Le'Veon's no we all know is not a uh not the easiest Antonio Brown I mean they have they've had some really interesting characters in that locker room and seems like nothing really comes out and they kind of just move on. Um, I want to go a little forward thinking here. Um, you're obviously a huge social media person. So am I, it seems like right now there's obviously a lot of talk of what the jets do in the draft. And obviously we don't know the jet where the jets will pick, you know, right now it's four, seven, 35 and 38 in the first two rounds. Again, that could change based on results this weekend. Um, if the draft was today, what, where would you like to see the Jets go? It doesn't have to be specific players, but where would you like to see them address needs, you know, off the bat? Is that obviously free agency will start first, but I'm just saying from the draft perspective, it seems like that's the hot debate right now, where they go pick wise and, and what position groups. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of different ways that you can go. Um, I don't, I don't know where you stand on this, but I'm not a Kyle Hamilton guy at the top of the draft for the Jets. Um, it's not against him as a player. I think he's a phenomenal player and he's going to go to a team and be good right away. I just, from a value perspective, it doesn't make sense for this team or what this defense is going to be trying to do in my eyes. So uh, I'm really someone who I like uh, going edge with one of those picks. Um, I definitely think that's a huge need for this team. I know you're probably out of the top two, but I'm still a big George Karloftis fan and I'd be fine uh, taking him with one of those picks. Um, and it, it's, 
I know it's not necessarily a uh, great positional value, but I would love to add a wide receiver uh, just because I think that would go a long ways to helping your young quarterback try to get better, just like what the Bengals did this past year uh, with getting Jamar Chase to already a really nice uh, positional group in their wide receiver room. But to me, you can't go into next year with just Elijah Moore and Corey Davis. You need more there. And yeah, you have to bring back Braxton Barrios, but I don't think he should be like the starting guy. If he's wide receiver four and you're a kick returner and punt returner, then that's perfect. But I definitely think they need more there. And if you just add an explosive player on top of that, I think that could make all the difference in the world for Zach. Yeah, I think, um, you know, from my perspective, I'm the same, I'm on the same page. I think Kyle Hamilton, Kyle Hamilton is a fantastic player. I think he's going to be a really good player and in a lot of different, I think he's more of a luxury player um, just from that perspective of like where the Cardinals were at. Um, they were kind of a, like it, it made sense to draft Isaiah Simmons, who I think is more translatable to do different things. Or like Micah Parsons as a middle linebacker at the time at, you know, at 12 made sense. Now he's an edge rusher. Obviously he's a steal there because he's, he's so effective rushing the passer. But I just think that linebacker and safety and corner, even corner for the Jets, I just don't, it's hard for me to have them pick a, a guy like that in the top seven, eight picks, just based on the way this roster is kind of built. Now, again, look, if the Jets drafted N'Kobe Dean and Derek Stingley or something like that, yeah, you talk yourself into it and you hope that that means they addressed offensive line and receiver and things of that nature in free agency and trades. But I don't know. I just I have a hard time. I'd like to see them trade back with one of the two picks as it stands today. I just think that there's not a huge difference between like Karloftis and and like, I don't know that he goes four. If he goes doesn't go four, maybe he goes seven or eight, like whatever. You know, you can figure that out. Um, I love David Ajabo, by the way. I just don't know that he tra- – like, I don't know that the Jets can be another time where they're <laughs> taking a guy that's a stand-up edge rusher and putting his hand in dirt. And, like, Vernon Golston just gives me horrifying flashbacks. So, I'd prefer not to do that. But, um, again, I just – I'd like to see the Jets just draft top-tier talent. I think that's been an issue on this team, especially at the skill group. You mentioned receiver. I think that receiver is a must in the first round. I, I don't even think you can sit there and wait until round two. The Jets have gotten lucky that like Elijah Moore fell when he did. I think the Giants kind of with die taking Kadarius Tony and the Jets, the Packers and other teams like going a different way. They got lucky, but I don't know. You can't keep counting on second round guys just because while there is a hit rate with those guys, there's also a big miss rate. And Denzel Mims is obviously, uh, you know, front and center in that, in that, uh, in that category side note, by the way, I don't really want to hear about Denzel Mims right now. He's not even, he's the Jets fifth receiver with banged up. Like, Jack's playing well. I don't, it's not important what Denzel Mims is doing. He's clearly not a part of this future, the future of this organization, or if he even has any future left here, it's very much like a, whatever you get, you get. So like it's over. Let's just, it's let's stop. Um, only thing I'm, the other thing I was going to ask you, you know, about kind of the draft and how people view it. O-line seems to be a, a question of, is the Jets line good enough right now going forward with Becton? Like, do they need to add there day one? Some people feel they need to add one, maybe even two guys in the first round. Others people think, you know, they're fine running it back exactly how they are now. Where do you kind of stand with this O-line? Because it's been, they've run the ball, the heck out of the ball, but they also have serious depth concerns. And, you know, in the third quarter yesterday, I know it's Shuma Doga and guys, but like Zach got sacked like 17 times in a row, it felt like. So where do you kind of stand, uh, stand on that? So earlier in the year, I was banging the drum for Linderbaum, but I think as the year has gone on, Connor McGovern's gotten you know much better, and the lines kind of eased in after a rough like first four or five weeks or so in the year. I think they really settled in pretty nicely. Now I'm not saying completely ignore the offensive line, and there's probably 
there's a world where you can sell me on drafting Evan Neal just because of how versatile he is. He can play left tackle, he can play right tackle, he can play guard. So if I were to go offensive line, that would probably be my guy now. Um, but it also kind of goes back to free agency. Like if you bring in a guard in free agency, then maybe you're not looking to add a offensive lineman that early in the draft. If if you don't, then it's a different story. So um, I'm not against going that position. Uh, it's probably not my favorite one that I've outlined. I think edge and wide receiver is, but it's hard for me to be mad if the Jets are trying to build the offensive line and help their quarterback. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm on the same page as you. I think, look, if the Jets did that, and Joe, like my dilemma, and I think this is how I'd lay it out, and I think this is how the Jets pro personnel department are going to look at it, is like with this offensive line, AVT getting better in year two, um, you know, potentially a day two or day three pick at guard and LDT bringing someone like that back and back then back. Like, it, could this be a top 10 line? If the answer is yes, I don't think you go a line in round one. You either trade back or you go somewhere else, as we mentioned, edge, receiver, I guess, potentially corner, you know, weak side linebacker. I'm not so high on in the top 10, but generally speaking, those are positions of huge need. Or if you feel like even with Beckton, we're still the 15th best offensive line and AVT is a pro bowler, but like, again, we're still top, we're not even a top 10, top 12 offensive line. Yeah. Then the Evan Neal thing comes into consideration and Charles cross. Uh, uh, there's a bunch of different guys in this class where like you could get a good value at four or seven or trading back. So I'm on the same page as you. I just, or you go pay Teron Armstead because Teron Armstead is going to walk from the Saints because they can't pay him. The Jets could just pay him right now and say someone's playing. One of the three of you is playing guard. You move back to the right. Like there's a million things you could do. So at bottom line, I don't think you can return the same five starters right now that are on your roster with no depth or no like day two guard that you can develop. And hopefully it's not Vlad Dukas, but like long, long-term LDT is not, you know, you're going to be here longer than you know, potentially next year if you bring him back or something of that nature. I want to hit on a couple last few things here. I've gone, I've ranted about this last week. I, I know you've tweeted about this and, and things of that nature. The Jets, you know, you brought, you brought up the Bengals before, and I think I brought that up today as well. I think, yes, are you expecting Zach to be Joe Burrow next year? No, I don't think that's, that's realistic. Joe Burrow put, put together arguably the two best two-game stretch we've ever seen from a quarterback. Put up like 485 and four touchdowns, 540 and four touchdowns. They won the division. That's all great. Um, obviously, they went receiver top of the draft and everyone thought O-line and they'll, they're going to have to address the O-line this year because that's not sustainable. But the general speaking is like they have elite playmakers, probably maybe the best group of like tight end receiver running back in the league. Dallas maybe has an argument or the Chiefs or someone like that, but they're they're right up there. And where do you like how quickly do the Jets have to be competitive in your eyes? Because or and what does competitive mean to you? Because I think people didn't like that. I said, I think they need to be competing for that six or seven playoff spot next year. And like that's got to be the goal preseason um some people thought that was aggressive but where do you stand on kind of what the long-term outlook is of this rebuild and like how quickly do the Jets need to be not four and 12 and us talking about the draft and literally week 17 no I agree with you 100 percent I think the same thing I mean a couple of years ago as you mentioned Bengals are picking first overall now a couple of years later they're they win the division uh, the Eagles were supposed to stink this year. They're going to be a playoff team. Like this whole notion that you have to have these five-year rebuilds is just insane in today's NFL. Um, and I, I think the expectation should be that they have to be fighting for a wild card spot uh, by this time next year. Instead of being four and eleven going into that game, be eight and seven or something like that. Like just at least be pushing for that playoff spot. I know the AFC is tough, and there, there's going to be some 
decent teams were going to miss out on the playoffs this year, but uh, you have to turn around. Even the Dolphins, you look in your own division, like they, they won 10 games last year. They still have an outside shot to make the playoffs this year. So um, I, I really don't think this league is you have to suck for five years and then you could finally maybe be competitive. Go double your win total, win eight, nine games next year. I'm on, I'm on the same page. I think it's just it's, it's hard for me to sit there and say after this next year, will be the 12th year. Now, I was a sophomore in high school last time the Jets were in the playoffs. I was a freshman or sophomore in college when the Jets like even won more than seven games. Um, I just don't think you can watch Miami, Cincinnati, Buffalo, Cleveland. Um, I don't know, even the chart teams like even the Chargers seems like that. Like we're like, it's hard for me to be like, oh, you can just not be competitive year over year. And like the Jets totally this year, there's totally on the same page of like play all the young guys get better. But at some point you have to not just spend money like the Jets spend money every year and they've spent money every year under Douglas. It's the type of money they're spending. It's go get like the top free agent on the market or go get the top guy in the draft. It's, it's felt like, yeah, the Carl Lawson signing was nice. And Corey Davis, I liked both signings. I still, I'm not out on Corey Davis. I just think they need to add more at receiver and I'm not out on Carl Lawson again, but you need to count on him from a health perspective. And also obviously you need to add a, you know, a second edge rusher in addition to him and Bryce off. I just think like you need to get the guy that's not only just proven, but like there's not an injury history there or there's not huge question marks. And yeah, a lot of those guys don't hit the free agent market, which is where my next question is going to be. I'm a big proponent. They need to use some of this capital and this money to take on a contract um, of a, a big name guy that yeah might be you know, might be on the market, you know, that similar to the Niners trading for Trent Williams or the Stefan Diggs trade or any of these teams that have gotten good quickly, usually have acquired players in addition, you know, through trades. Is there any names that have come to mind for you or guys that you'd like to see the Jets at least kind of kick, kick the tires on, um, you know, from a trade perspective that maybe can, you know, elevate them as opposed to signing, uh, you know, as opposed to drafting George Karloff, this they trade for Daniel Hunter, like something of like that nature. Is there, are there guys that come to mind for you or are you kind of more on the, like continue to build through the draft and free agency? You kind of just stole my thunder there with Hunter. That's a good one. Um, I, I don't think Michael Thomas is a little too risky. Like that's another one that I see brought up a lot, but uh, I think that's a little bit too risky for me. Um, but I don't, it's hard to, to give you a, an exact player right now. You got to look at, you know, certain teams caps and like the saints make sense because they seem to always have cap issues, but to, in order to build a, a good roster in today's NFL, it can't just all be the draft. And I understand a lot of fans were like, yeah, okay, let's rebuild this thing through the draft. And I get it. You, you have to build a core that way, but you have to be able to supplement your roster in free agency and through trades. Douglas has done a good job of acquiring these assets first trading off some of these guys like Adams, Herndon, Darnold, you know, go right down the line, but it's okay to flip some of those assets and try to land a big time player uh, who's already established in the league. So I'm with you on that for sure. Brett, and I wanted to hit on, sorry, we'll hit a couple more before we wrap here. Braxton Berrios, obviously we hit it, mentioned him a little bit and the Jets have obviously done a fantastic job of maximizing his talent and potential. And uh, you know, he's still a young player and all these different things. Is there a line? Obviously I think everyone's on board. They want to resign Braxton Berrios. That said, just posing the idea, is there a line in which, Braxton Barrios asks for X dollar amount that you say you let him walk. Cause like, this is the conversation I keep seeing is like, pay him whatever. 
yes, you pay him whatever to retain him, but there is a line in which I know Joe Douglas is going to draw this line because he's done it with everybody. He did it with Marcus May, who is a was a far more established starter, like top, like Pro Bowl level player at last year, even playing safety. You mentioned before Braxton Barris is your wide receiver four and your starting returners. Awesome. I think great value. Is there a number or is there a situation in which the Jets don't re-sign Braxton Barrios? Because I know everyone just assumes it's going to happen, but you have to also remember, like, the Jets have had no track record of re-signing anybody recently other than John Franklin Myers to an extension. Yeah, uh, that's a really good point. I I don't know, maybe $5 million. Like, I, I can't see myself going too much higher than that for, as you mentioned, a, a returner and your fourth wide receiver. If you're getting up to, like, six, $7 million, I think that's a, that's a little rich for my blood. Yeah, no, I was just, I think you give, I don't know, three for 15 or three for 12, mostly guaranteed, like makes sense. I mean, he's making like 550K now. So it's not, I think that's a pretty nice pay raise. And I think you also just have to keep in context, like if all things are equal, like he's your fourth guy. Um, if the Jets go into next year with Davis, Moore, and Barrios as your top three, you're concerning me just because you're expecting you have multiple under five foot 10 receivers and you're counting on like, you're counting on Braxton Barrios and Elijah Moore to win every single time uh, for, and you'd have to add a bunch of guys at tight end. I want to get, uh, you know, quickly, just kind of your prediction for the rest of the season here. Um, Packers, Bucks, Bills, kind of Titans are the one seed right now. If the Patriots sprinkled in there, where are you at on like, who's going to, who's going to win the Super Bowl this year and, or who are your favorites kind of to get out of both the AFC and the NFC? Um, you know, I know you do a bunch of the stuff with the odds for odds checker and things of that nature. Where you got, where you kind of at on, you know, playoffs and Super Bowl since the Jets are obviously again not in the playoffs. Absolutely. Um, so my preseason prediction was Rams Chiefs, and early on I was feeling pretty good about the Rams and not so good about the Chiefs, and then that's kind of flip flopped a little bit in the second half of this year. Um, I think both those teams are absolutely still in the mix, um, but for me, in the AFC, I, I really feel like it's the Bills, the Patriots, or the Chiefs, one of those teams. And then uh, in the NFC, I would throw the Packers in there. Um, I don't I don't think Dallas does it for me. They just seem – they always find ways to lose in the playoffs. So I just I – don't, I don't trust them. Uh, the Cardinals feel like they're fading fast. So uh, – and I just don't think the Titans have enough to get over the hump in the AFC. So – yeah, I'm, I was I was Packers Chiefs. I want to see it. We've been robbed of Rodgers Mahomes like 500 times now, and like someone's always hurt or someone's COVID and stuff. And it's, I think it'd be the most entertaining Super Bowl just from a stylistic perspective. I think Rams Chiefs would be awesome as well. I love Matt Stafford. I just think he still has that one mistake in him that any given day it could it could come out. It usually tends to happen early in games, and then he kind of gets better as the game goes on. But recently, it's. I know Dan Orlovsky said it's because the 10 a.m. West Coast time starts. I'm not, I'm not going to give Matt Stafford in year 13 that much grief like that. You know, not going to give him that much of a break there. He makes $40 million a year and he's in year 13. Um, yeah, I, I'd like to see Packers Chiefs. I think New England's the team that's like really difficult to evaluate because any if they play their style, no, like I feel like they can win every week. But teams of Buffalo and other teams, you know, have gotten them out of their style and Dallas has done it to them too. NFC wise. I just feel like we're on a collision course for Brady Rogers one more time. Um, I think to your point, Dallas, I just think Dallas is one of those teams that like, they don't, don't, I don't get why they don't, they're not better. Like they have every weapon possible. They have a million different guys, game changers on defense. Although 
this point was made yesterday. Trevon Diggs for the 11 interceptions is like one of has having historically one of the worst cornerback seasons like ever, literally in yards and you know allowed and touchdowns and things. So pump the break, but like Michael Parsons, a game changer, Lawrence, all these guys. So right now it'd be set up for Dallas in Green Bay, you know, in round two, which would be awesome to watch. And you know, we'll get some stuff in the AFC as well. I just think to your point, Tennessee, like again, do I trust Ryan Tannehill in like in an AFC title game needing seven points. Like, I don't know yet. I just think like, yeah, they got to an AFC title game, but when they needed, when they were up and they needed him to, you know, go win the game for them against the chiefs, like he, he couldn't do it. So um, we'll see, we'll see on that. Obviously you're doing a lot of different stuff, odd stuff, jets content, all that different stuff. You want to tell kind of the audience that I'm sure most everyone that listens to this knows where to find you, but um, you know, where to find your social wise and kind of work you're getting done. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as you mentioned, I, the day job is at Odds Checker, um, so I cover you know all things kind of from the gambling perspective there. But Jet stuff on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all at Matt O'Leary NY, and uh, yeah, just trying to keep it light, have some fun, and talk some football. There we go. We like to we like to see that. Obviously, continue to support Matt if you're already doing so. Make sure to give him a follow. Um, puts out a lot of good, pretty much daily content. You know, Jets wise, and like I said on TikTok, it's all over my feed. So, um, you know, keep uh, you know keep doing a great work. We'll uh, you know obviously have you on in the off season. And appreciate you hopping on. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks again.